We have the incredible privilege this morning of approaching the Word of God that I will attempt to teach you, uh, but we need to prepare our hearts in prayer and specifically ask God to bless the teaching ministry of the Word of God. Let's do that. Our great and gracious God, teach us what we do not know. Remind us of what we have learned long ago. And through this time, make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Collecting a few quotes on worship over the years, here's uh, some of the ones I really like. This is from John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not, not missions, because God is ultimate, not people. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. This is another one from Bob Coughlin, who wrote a book called Worship Matters. And in that book, he quotes from another book called Engaging God. In worship then, or excuse me, it should be a question. Is worship then essentially an experience or a feeling? Is it to be identified with a special sense of the presence of God or with some kind of religious ecstasy or with expressions of deep humiliation before God? Series of questions. Are there special moments in a Christian meeting when, when we are truly worshiping God? Are church services designed <clears throat> to be measured by the extent to which they enable the participants to enter into such experiences? <clears throat> such a subjective approach is often reflected in the comments people make about Christian gatherings. But it has little to do with biblical teaching on the matter. There are a lot of questions out these days regarding worship and worship styles and forms of worship. Fortunately for us, we have scripture, which teaches us with clarity and reliability what true worship is about. As I approach John chapter 4 this week, I realize I need two parts for this. There are two conversations that Jesus has. We'll take one of those this week, and then the other one we'll take next week. They're very similar in, in flavor. You'll hear this in how I break these up. Jesus is what makes Christian worship unique. We're going to look at that this morning. Next week, we're going to look at this one. Jesus is what makes Christian witness unique. That's next week. Today, first half of John chapter 4, we're looking at what Jesus, or, uh, Jesus is what makes Christian wit, uh, worship unique. Uh, so my aim this morning is to show you that true worship centers on the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have this in a one single statement in the Gospel of John because his favorite way of teaching seems to be conversations. And so we have a couple of conversations in the Gospel of John. This first half deals with a conversation with a woman from Samaria, the woman at the well. I will just refer to this, the Samaritan woman. That's the way I say it, the Samaritan woman. And I'm going to draw out three points that I think are in this passage of Scripture to support my assertion that true worship centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And the first one is that Jesus has come for all people. 
It wouldn't be worship if Jesus only came for a few, and yet we're all invited into worship somehow. No, Jesus has come for all people. And I see that in the first several verses here. Let me read these again. Chapter 4, verse 1 of the Gospel of John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea in the south, and he went back to, once more to Galilee in the north. And in between Judea and Galilee is the region of Samaria. And we're told in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, that's not for reasons of topography, as in the lay of the land. If you were just to follow the lay of the land, what would make it easiest would be to avoid Samaria and, and travel a coastal route known as the Via Maris, the way of the sea. You had to travel where the, where the, um, the mountains, the rivers, and the valleys allowed you to travel. Traveling straight from Judea through Samaria into Galilee was the harder task of travel. Add to that, there's this tension between Jews and Samaritans. And this goes back hundreds of years. Very brief on the history lesson. Seven, 700 years before the time of Christ, Assyria came to town and they took out the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah still remained in the south. Assyria took them out. And by way of taking them out, that does not mean that they annihilated every last person. That means they took what they thought were the best and the brightest of the northern kingdom of Israel, brought them back to the homeland. And there they encouraged them to live your life here, intermarry, buy some land, and, and, and have kids. What they were trying to do was eliminate the lineage by having them intermarry. So no longer would there be pure Jews, there would just be a mix. Well, a number of Jews did intermarry, and they did have kids, and, they, and then they got to return to the land of Israel, and they settled in Samaria, and they are called Samaritans. They are despised by the Jews because they compromised. They married outside the faith. They had kids. They embraced some of the ideas of the pagans around them. And they brought this mixed lineage back to Israel. They, with, along with it, they brought back mixed ideas about religion. And they rejected a good portion of the Old Testament. So these two groups of people do not get along. The, the most natural way for Jesus to travel is to just simply avoid Samaria altogether. Avoid the Samaritans. That's what most of the Jews did. Take the Via Maris. Go, go around Samaria. But we read right here in verse 4, now Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? Because he has an appointment with a woman at the well. And he has to keep that appointment. John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, you can see this tension as a conversation ensues. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the, food, into the town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parenthetical note, it says here, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the woman even sees several things that are wrong with having this conversation at the request of Jesus. She's a woman and he's a man. It's in public. And she's a Samaritan. 
He's a Jew. Further, if he were to comply with her request, that means he would be using some of her drinking utensils. God forbid a Jew should ever touch the utensils that belong to a Samaritan and used by a Samaritan. There's just a whole lot that appears to her as wrong with this conversation. Well, she's at the bottom of the social, political, economic, religious ladder. She is an outcast. She's there in the middle of the day when the other folks would have come earlier in the, in the morning. She's there because there's issues in her life that, that put her in a position where she's a, an outcast even amongst the outcast. And Jesus, a, a Jew, is asking her for a drink. Contrast this woman. Again, we have to look at what, what, what is here in a, a literary context. What, what is the stuff that came just before John chapter 4? Well, that would be John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, Jesus had another conversation, this time with Nicodemus. And he was at the top of the social, political, religious, and economic ladder. So in John chapter 3, you have Jesus talking to someone who's at the very top. And in John chapter 4, you have Jesus talking to someone who's at the very bottom. And what I'm suggesting to you is that Jesus has come for all people. At the top, at the bottom, everyone in between, Jesus has come. That they might understand what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, Jesus uh, takes this conversation down the path where he actually reveals himself to be the Messiah. That is a huge shocker. Following John chapter 3, it means he, he just bypassed Jerusalem, the religious leadership, and Nicodemus. He did not reveal himself to be Messiah there. Other people were talking about Jesus as Messiah. This is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. He does so to an outcast. To a woman, to a Samaritan. Take a look again at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now we're going to skip the entire conversations in chapter 4. And I want to draw your attention to verse 43 of chapter 4. <clears throat> after the two days, two days in Samaria, after the two days... He, Jesus, left for Galilee. So what we are about to read, this conversation, we're going to read part of it. The conversation that Jesus had with a woman in Samaria, that is only meant to be a synopsis of the conversation. Jesus was in Samaria for two days. Next week, we're going to look at another little piece of a conversation. But there, there's much more that could have been written, that could have been contained in John chapter 4. John doesn't write that down for us. He gives us the bare essentials of what we need to know. This is the important stuff, the synopsis of this conversation. Jesus has come to establish true worship. Got that? That's my second point here. I'm trying to uh, support that true worship centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that Jesus has come for all people, the top, the bottom, in between. And now we're going to see that Jesus has come in part to establish true worship. Let's look at verse 21. Jesus declared, now speaking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Several things will happen, and Jesus gives us a clue that the time has arrived. He says the time is coming, or you might have a translation that says an hour is coming, and now has come. The location of worship won't matter any longer because true worship will occur. In John chapter 17, just before he was um, <clears throat> arrested and the horrific events of the betrayal and the crucifixion and uh, before all that occurred, in John chapter 17, in some of his last hours of freedom, Jesus prayed. And he began that prayer by saying, the hour has come. So when you read in here in John chapter 4, there is an hour that is coming. You know what that hour is about. It's about Easter weekend, the, the, the crucifixion, the death, the, the, uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, verified by resurrection that, that that worked. True worship is built upon that weekend. True worship is built upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is so important for us to understand. This is why Christianity is not like any other religion. Even though the Jews share our view of the Old Testament, some of them won't, but even though the Jews embrace the, the Old Testament to some degree, put it that way, they reject Jesus Christ. They are outside of true worship of God. Even though Islam embraces monotheism, they reject Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself. They are outside of true worship of God. This is not to say anything that's mean or intolerant or narrow-minded. This is trying to understand what the scripture says. Jesus has come to establish true worship. Now Jesus points out two negative changes and one positive change that will occur because he has come and he's going to die on the cross and raise, be raised from the dead. Two negative changes. First, Jerusalem will no longer be the center of, of worship for God's people. The temple is going away. Now, you may recall it's been a little while since we we're in John chapter 2, but when Jesus cleansed the temple and overturned the tables and, and got everybody's attention by doing that, he said, when he was asked about a sign to prove that he had authority to, to do these things, he said, destroy this temple, talking of himself, and I will raise it again in three days. And we're told in John chapter 2 that the disciples remembered that after the resurrection and they realized the temple that he was speaking of was himself. Jesus is telling us here in John chapter 4, the temple in Jerusalem will go away. Location doesn't matter anymore. And the temple will soon no longer matter anymore. Why? Because Jesus is going to the cross. He'll be raised from the dead. He will be our new temple. There's also this, uh, this aspect of Jesus saying, that Samaritans worship what they don't know, and the Jews worship what they do know. And that seems to um, run against what I just told you, that Judaism is outside of 
of true worship. Judaism up until this point, had, um, the Jews have been the custodians of the word of God. And so what they read in the word of God in terms of approaching God was, was proper and it was accurate and it was acceptable for hundreds of years. But someone new is on the scene, Jesus Christ, and there will be a new way of worshiping and it will be in accordance with the fullness of the word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament. That is new. The old is going away. Old covenant will be obsolete soon because Jesus is on the scene. These two, two changes should settle forever the notion that you could somehow create your own way to get to God. If God were to receive those who were sincere in their faith, no matter what they believed, and no matter how they worshipped, then Jesus should have said so right here, right now, in this conversation. Not only that, but Jesus would be completely unnecessary if you could just make up your own way and call it good in the eyes of God because sincerity was somehow the test of true faith and true worship. But we don't have that. Not in this conversation, and in fact, nowhere in the Bible. One positive change is that the Savior is coming into the world, and at the time of this conversation, the Savior was already on the scene. This Savior would make it possible for people all over the world, no matter what your country, your culture, your custom, your language, people all over the world to have access to God and to worship God acceptably in his sight. That's through the Savior, our, our Savior, God's Son, Jesus Christ. I see that in verse 24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. To best understand what it means to worship God in spirit, let's go back to John chapter 3. This is that, that born-again conversation with Nicodemus. John chapter 3 I'm just going to pick it up in the middle of the conversation. Verse 6, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says this. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, gives birth to spirit. Human birth gives birth to people who enter into the family of humanity. Only the Holy Spirit can give birth to people and bring them into the family of God. Within the family of humanity, there are some, in fact, there are many, who are born again, and they are Christians. We call them Christians. At the moment of salvation, God gives new life. Prior to that, these people were walking around physically alive and yet spiritually dead. God gives life. In other words, God gives the ability to have a life connection with himself, God gives us the ability to worship him. Your ability, your capacity to worship God is a gift that you received at the moment of salvation. You did not come into this world with a, a natural disposition to worshiping God. That was given to you. It is a gift that you didn't even ask for. And you might not have even known you received it. Maybe until now. And I'm suggesting you from the word of God, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, your ability and your capacity to worship God truly 
has been gifted to you at the moment of your conversion, your spiritual birth. Every day as a Christian, you can worship God by setting your mind on the Word of God. Every day as a Christian, you can worship God by setting your heart on the Son of God. There again, the uniqueness of Christian worship. It's all about Jesus. So often our minds and our hearts <clears throat> are set on, on what we desire. And we can even bring that into uh, the gathering of God's family and bring that into what we call a worship service. Thinking a lot about ourselves and our lives and not enough of Jesus. That's why we call you to worship and we sing songs that proclaim the worthiness of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And we just simply teach the Word of God, not making up stuff, but trying to teach what is already written down here. <clears throat> Your great desire can be, should be, Jesus. Give me more Jesus. I want more of Jesus. The more you learn about God through His Word, the more you will be impacted by what you learn in God's revealed word, and you will marvel at God. You will have moments of worship as you, by yourself, quietly alone, just simply read the word. You'll be led to marvel. You'll be stunned at the grace of God. Perhaps I can give you a summary of, of, of chapter 4, verse 24, where the Word of God says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in and truth. I'm trying to summarize now a lot of what I've been saying about this as I've combined some other scriptures with John chapter 4. Perhaps I can give it to you this way. Worship in spirit and in truth begins with the new life that is generated by the Spirit of God. Right? We read that in John chapter 3. I'm not making this up. Worship in spirit and in truth continues with a mind that is fed the Word of God and continues with a heart that is focused on the Son of God. Begins with this new life that God gives to us. And it continues as we set our minds on the Word of God. It continues again as we set our hearts on the Son of God. Well, since this uh, passage is about... Um, spirit and truth and immersed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I think it's safe to put it this way. True worship is about Jesus. So these are the three points I've given to you. Jesus has come, to all come for all people. Jesus has come to establish true worship, and true worship is all about Jesus. Now Jesus said this, to a woman at a well in Samaria in the ancient world. He might have said it differently to us, but he said it in a way that she could understand it, and she did understand it. The location of worship is going to change. The manner of worship is going to change. Why? Because the Son of God is on the scene. The Samaritans don't worship God truly because they reject the concept of a Jewish Messiah. But the Jews, a lot of them, particularly the religious leadership, don't worship God truly because they, they reject Jesus as the Messiah. 
Watch how this conversation closes. Jesus will point to him. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Very important, again, that we understand the implications of this for our situation today. In regard to Judaism and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and New Age and Wicca Wickcraft and virtually any other religious system that you can, you can uh, think of, those do not embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the only path to God, the only path to true worship is to God through Jesus Christ. Christians are set free from an overemphasis on location and tradition and form and style because we are free in Christ to approach God in spirit and in truth. Turn a page to John chapter 5, verse 23. Uh, the persecution begins against Jesus Christ. Uh, we're told in verse 16. And so he's having a conversation with religious leadership, with Jews who are after him. They want him to shut up and go away. So that conversation begins in verse 16. I just want to look at the last part of verse 23. If I was writing this down, I would say uh, John 5, 23b. It, it be, verse 23 begins in the middle of the sentence. I'm not going to read that. The last part of verse 23. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, you simply cannot reject Jesus and worship God at the same time. The way it's written down for us in the Gospel of Luke, in another conversation, a different conversation than this one, Jesus said, the one who rejects me rejects the Father. You cannot reject Jesus and worship God at the same time. Any religious system that makes light of Jesus Christ diminishes the Savior somehow any religious system that does not exalt Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior is not worshiping God in truth. We are not the same. And you need to understand this because it is going to get harder for you in this culture to worship Jesus Christ. You will be recast as a hater of people. If, you would, if your allegiance goes first and foremost and really exclusively to Jesus Christ, you might find yourself one day not being a happy camper because you belong to Jesus. That is to be expected. That is normal. Nothing wrong with you. Nothing wrong with Christianity. That's the way it is. What we're learning in John chapter 4 is this. <clears throat> Who you worship is more important than where you worship. Who you worship is more important than how you worship. If you worship Jesus, both your mind and your heart should be an active part of your worship. Both your mind and your heart should be engaged and moved by what you read in the Word of God or what you heard read by what you hear taught from the Word of God by what you sing or by what is sung in your presence. That should move you as the true truths of God are proclaimed 
and exclaimed. Speaking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, it looks like, and I'm just going to give this to you as my opinion, it looks like Jesus is dealing with someone who worshiped with the heart and not the mind. But there's a contrast because in John chapter 3, it looks like Jesus is dealing with someone who worships with the mind and not the heart when he's engaging with Nicodemus. Speaking about the type of people with whom Nicodemus hung around, religious leadership, form and tradition, and do it right, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. God is not seeking worshipers who do it right. God is seeking people who will be rightly related to him. And they are the true worshipers. Be encouraged to notice that God is seeking people. Do you realize that your journey to Christianity was not a journey that you made on your own? God was seeking you. The only reason that you were ever interested in God is that he was seeking you. And he revealed himself to you. And he would not let you go. You are here not because you sought after God, but because he sought after you. Okay, so what are the requirements of acceptable worship? That you be born again, and you respond to your new life in Christ with a mind that is informed by Scripture and a heart that is in love with the Savior. Because that doesn't have anything to do with structure or format or what we sung and didn't sing. Born again, a mind that is informed by Scripture a heart that is in love with the Savior, that is the pathway to true worship. Jesus is the Savior who has come into the world to make true worship possible. Okay, a couple points of application. Christian, when you attend a worship service, make it all about Jesus. That applies not only to the musical portion of the worship service, but also the teaching of God's word and the connections with God's people. Don't make it all about you and how you feel about the music and how you felt about the sermon and how you felt about somebody else who was in the room. Make it all about Jesus. Care about what Jesus cares about. Here's here some practical things that you can do that I've done over the years. You could familiarize yourself with the songs. As soon as we pick songs for Sunday, I've got those on my Spotify, and I want to hear them. I want to hear them again. I just want to immerse into the worship service. You could read the scripture before you come. You could do that. We usually let you know. And I think on Thursday when the newsletter goes out, there's even some notes that give you, gives you just a bit of an idea of where we might be going with this. So I told you first half of John 4 this week. Guess what is next week? The second half of John 4. Guess what's after that? John 5. Wow, you guys are brilliant. You could read the scripture that I'm going to be preaching on before you come. You could read it several times. Before you leave the building, 
when you engage in a worship service, you could spend some time talking and meeting a brother or a sister in Christ. You're not here on your own. You're connected. That's why we have all gathered together. Many of us have covenanted together. You know what? You might even try this. You might have a personal devotion for uh, Saturday night or a devotion with your spouse on Saturday night or even a devotion with your family on, on Saturday night where you read scripture and you talk and you pray, maybe even sing. That could be awkward. Just do it. Begin your Sunday morning worship on Saturday night. Try that and see how that happens. Rather than ducking in late after watching a ball game that made you tense because you know who lost again. Perhaps while you're here, you could even turn your phone off and be all in. Unless you need your phone for the children's ministry to text you. Gotcha. <laughs> be all in. Make it all about Jesus. If you're not a Christian, know that God has made you for relationship for himself, and he is seeking you. I think God brought you here this morning so you could hear this. And so that you could be with God's people and watch them sing these songs and notice their responses to the teaching of God's word. Both your, if you are not a Christian, both your mind and your heart can be filled with truth. And you can experience a relationship that has more joy than you've ever known. I'm going to turn a corner for just a moment, but I am going to bring it back to worship. In fact, this is, this is still on, the, on topic. But it's going to feel like a left topic, so I'm just giving you a heads up. While we're here in John chapter 4 and noticing this great conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. And while we're talking about this, I want to make a comment on the TV series called The Chosen. I like The Chosen. I watch The Chosen. Uh, as far as I know, there's three seasons and I've watched them all. If there's a fourth, then I fell behind. Sorry about that. But I've, I've watched them all. And I'm grateful in these days of finding things on, on, the, uh, on the TV that are deplorable and offensive that somebody actually took the time to make something that's based on the gospels that that is just amazing to me the entertainment in industry let this one go wow that's wow we should all be thankful for that here we are we we get to watch some they, they talk about jesus on these shows and they're not apologizing for it it's just uh, uh, amazing my favorite episode is season one episode eight because it's this conversation right here the samaritan woman Love that episode. Love it. Just, just love it. I have a growing concern, though, about The Chosen. Couldn't put my finger on it until I saw something. It must have been online because I went back and tried to find it, and I looked through books, and I, I couldn't find it anywhere. So let, let, let me describe it to you. It was a sketch. You know, like a, uh, back in the day, uh, Charles Schultz made it, or whatever, uh, Peanuts, the Charlie Brown thing. You go frame, 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 and you see in three frames something unfold. So in the first frame, you see a, a long um, rectangle table like what we have in the lobby. It's just a, a plain old rectangle table with two guys sitting there. And then the next frame, you see one side of the table. It looks like a registration table. There's a long line waiting to talk to one person, and there's no line at all waiting to talk to the other person. 
And then finally, in the third frame, you come to understand what this is about. Because on the, that, the left side of the, of the table where there's this person who's a, like a registration, and there's a long line waiting to, uh, to sign up with him, the sign says, those who learn about the Bible by watching a show. And then on the other side of the table, yeah, I think you're going to get this, there, where, where there's a registration guy and there's no line at all, there's a sign that says, those who learn about the Bible by reading the Bible. I don't want you to replace Bible reading with a show, no matter how good the show is. And in this case, I happen to like the show, but I read the Bible. I love the Bible. I have to read the Bible. I need to read the Bible. You have to be in the Word of God if you want to be a growing Christian. You want to worship God? You can only worship Him in spirit and truth. You have to engage with the Word of God. It's a good show, but it's a show. Only the Word of God is a Holy Spirit-inspired record, a revelation that we get from God. That show is not Holy Spirit-inspired. Some very well-meaning people who are Christians, and they, they try, and they pray, they do their best. They're not inspired. The show is not inspired. The Word of God, inspired, read this book. It will change your life. Your best source of truth is the Word of God. The best way to engage your mind is to encounter God as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Your best way to uh, in, uh, engage your heart is to encounter God as He has revealed Himself in His Word, specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came here to die for you. Hopefully that moves you to want to worship him. Would you pray with me, please? Our God, you are great and glorious, and we are not. We are so thankful for your grace. You are kind to us when we ignore you. You chase after us when we run from you. You have much to do with us, even when we feel as if we don't want much to do with you. You just are amazing. Thank you for drawing us to yourself through the word of God. Not through my words, not through a musician, not through the ambience of the room, but through the word of God. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son, our Savior. And thank you for the new life that the Holy Spirit generated within us when we were born again. Praise you for all of that. Help us, dear God, to walk with you that we might worship you in a way that's more, that's deeper and better and more accurate to Scripture. Teach us where we fall short. Reveal to us areas in which our day-to-day -day worship negatively impact or positively impact our Sunday morning worship. We want to know about that. We want to see it. We want to be aware. Show us those things that we need to drop. Give us ideas for things that we need to add. Humble us now as we approach the, the table. 
knowing that the mere celebration of this table cost Jesus his life, we are humbled. So now we approach it with reverence and respect. In Jesus' name.